Hey, um, welcome, uh, as Dr. Munihan has expressed, and uh, um, I want to encourage you, if you've got a, an old-school, traditional paper Bible with you, to find Romans chapter 1, or use, uh, find your phone, find that on your phone. If you're new with us, uh, we use something called the Bible app, uh, Uversion Bible app, and you can find that in the App Store. All of our sermon notes and links for some of the things that we talk about throughout the day are, are there in that under the events tab. So you go to more and events, and you can find it there, all right? So uh, while you're finding Romans 1, uh, one quick reminder, uh, uh, sign up for our next equip class that's starting, loveshellville.com slash equip. And it's going to be on personal evangelism. Daniel Bright down here in the front row with uh, an awesome, he's lost part of the tip of his finger uh, we said that that was the, the cost, the sacrifice for leading an equip class. We, we needed part of his finger. He willingly gave it up. So, no, I'm, I'm kidding. He had an accident. But uh, he's leading that class along with myself, and uh, we're excited about that. It starts on the 17th, so I encourage you to check that out. But uh, today, uh, as we uh, get started in a new sermon series, we're going to talk about this idea of living lies. Living lies. And uh, this is part of our journey in 2019 through the book of Romans. And uh, we spent the first month, January, uh, talking about being set apart. Paul, uh, in his letter to the Romans, he, he lays this idea out and he talks about, man, what is it to be set apart? Why are we set apart? And, uh, and, and we kind of laid that out as a, as a goal, as, a, as something that we desire uh, in our church here in 2019. And as we continue to work through this, uh, Paul's going to go back and he's going to start at the very beginning. He's going to talk about this idea of being living lies. And so we're going to jump into that today uh, in verses 16 and 17. So I just want to read those couple of verses and then pray for our time in the Word together, all right? Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, your word. And we just pray, God, that the Spirit would, uh, we know he's here. We invite him to, to come to speak truth to us, uh, both individually and collectively, Father. And we pray that his word would change our lives in the way that we live today. Thank you the freedom to worship together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago today, uh, the pastor elders of Christ Community were having a meeting here in this building on a Sunday afternoon. And as we began to meet, a couple came through the doors uh, and they were in need of assistance. Uh, pretty broken. And um, we, it, it was this... <laughs> It was this amazing thing. That, that moment began a journey with them where we were trying to, to serve them, to love on them, to help them, to uh, share with them the God that we know and love, the God that is the power of salvation to all who would believe. And um, there's a lot of other details that come in that, right? But for the last two weeks, we've been walking with them in a variety of ways, both people from our church, people from our partners, um, and uh, it, it's really been amazing. For me, that journey uh, kind of came to a close on Friday. So on Friday, uh, this couple 
uh, had decided that it was best for one of them to go one way and one of them to go the other way. And so a gentleman got in my car on Friday morning, and we were headed to the Greyhound bus stop in downtown Louisville. <clears throat> you know how it is when, when someone comes into your life and it's clear that they need help, and you want to assume the best. You want to see the best. You want the, the best thing to, to end up being the result. I wanted that. So this, this man is in my car. We drive to Louisville, and we have this incredible conversation. He begins to share with me uh, very vulnerably about the life that was really his, a life that you know, no one would have suspected if you just were to look at him, the things that he had done that he regretted, the things that he'd been covering up. He began to confess those things to me, and, and we began to talk about the forgiveness that comes in Christ. In tears, he's, he's, he's praying. He's asking Jesus for forgiveness. He's asking me to pray with him that Jesus would forgive him. I'm reassuring him that Christ would do that. And we get to the bus stop in Louisville, and the bus stop doesn't open for another hour. Let's get some food. So the next restaurant, wouldn't you know it, that we see driving around downtown Louisville is White Castle. <laughs> White Castle. No commentary needed. It's White Castle. So we go into White Castle. I order our food. And he says, I'm going to go get us a table. I said, all right. So he goes in and he gets us a table. And as I come over to the table, he's struck up a conversation with this White Castle worker who's on break. And he turns around to me and he says, hey, do you know where my phone is? Because this girl wants to give me her number. Man, I was so disappointed. I thought, man, like 10 minutes ago, you, like, like you were in tears, crying, praying for salvation. You just left another lady behind in Shelbyville, and, and now you're ready to get this girl's number. It was a heartbreaking moment. I was looking for light, right? Like I was looking for that, that breakthrough, that, that moment of hope where someone just really decides, man, life is going to be different. They, like this is what life has looked like. There's so many things about me that you don't know that are, man, that are dirty, that are ugly. You realize that Christ can forgive those things. Looking for light, looking for light, hoping for light, but really just seeing lies, right? Just seeing lies. I was almost angry, right? As we sit at White Castle, this guy turned around talking to the girl instead of me who just bought his lunch. Maybe I'm still a little bit angry. I should, I don't know, consider that. But as I was sitting there, I also got super convicted. It's clear as day. The Lord impresses on my heart. Blake, you do the same thing all the time. And I wanted to argue with the Lord right there. I was like, Lord... No, I do not. I do not do that. And then, as I'm sitting here thinking about this, meditating on this, he was like, what about last night? I'm like, oh, what are, you, what are you talking about? So I'm thinking about the night before. Worked full day of work. Come home. Caitlin's got dinner ready. We eat dinner as a family. She's been a little frustrated because she's doing a great job of mothering our three kids, and she hasn't gotten the house as clean as she would like it. It's not terrible, but not as clean as she would like it. 
I know in the back of my head that the Purdue Boilermakers play a basketball game at 7 p.m. So we get done with dinner. I'm like, Tinley, you do the dishes on the table. You clean the table. Preston, you go in here and you clean up Magnolia's toys. I'm going to do the dishes. Like, I, like, it was amazing. Like, bam, 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 bam. We're just cleaning this house. And we get to 658, and I can tell Caitlin's smiling. Like, she feels good about the fact that we kind of pulled together and do this. And at 658, I'm like, so, honey, um, uh, there's a Purdue game on. I'm going to go downstairs and watch it. <laughs> and I realized, as I'm sitting here thinking about this, in a White Castle with a guy getting a, getting a number from a girl, that I'd done the same thing, right? I was living a lie. My motivation for rallying the kids and getting the house clean and doing all those things and doing it in a quick manner wasn't really to serve my family. It was to be able to have a good enough reason to say, I'm going to go down and watch the Purdue game. And Caitlin gave me a ton of grace, and she's like, yeah, sure. Actually, it ended up kind of being like a family night, so like the Lord's good in that too. But there was conviction that as I'm getting angry at this guy for, for maybe not doing exactly like I would do it, maybe not even doing the right thing, that I had done the same thing in my own life. We look for light, and too often we see lies, right? We want to assume the best about people. We, we want to hope that things are going to turn out the right way. We want to hope that people are going to do the right thing or make the right choice. But too often in our world, we just see so many of us living lives. We've been talking about living lives that are set apart, right? That's the, the, the focus, the gist of 2019. And Paul has been writing about his desire to, to come to Rome, to share Jesus, and, and that idea has inspired us as a church to consider how we set ourselves apart for the mission and, and, and how we do that in community. And we're reminding ourselves of this purpose to share Christ with our world um, by, by setting a goal, right? Right here in front of me, we've set this goal of inviting 10% of Shelby County to, to come to church with us, hear the gospel. And each rubber band represents an invitation, whether the invitation was a yes or a no. And we put it on the board, and, and that's 4,500 people, right, if you, if you want to do the math. 4,500 invites. Now, I just want to ask, has anyone found that difficult? It's like it sounds good. Yeah, rah. But it's kind of hard. It's been more uncomfortable than you would like to, to bring up Jesus in our lives. And so it begins to beg this question, how much of a lie are we living? We hold this idea of what we would like to be out there, and the life we live is completely different. So Paul, as he's writing to the Romans, he's, he's finishing up his intro, and he's, he's transitioning with these two verses. And in these verses, he's dropping the, the purpose of his writing. This is what it's all going to be about. The power of the gospel and how it's revealed and how it brings about the righteousness that Christ would desire in us. So I want to look back at those two verses really quick, and I want us to ask some hard questions because it's an, an incredible picture that is painted. But so often it seems like, how could this ever be true? Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God, the power of God for salvation. And we're like, wait a second, how does that power get displayed? Because I don't always feel like I get to see the power of God working in our world week to week. 
It's the power of God for salvation to, to everyone who believes. And you're like, wait a second, if everyone can enjoy this salvation, if we can all be unified around Christ in this gospel, then, then how come Christians and churches fight so much? How come we can't figure out how to get along? And he goes on, right? First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God. And you're like, the righteousness of God? Like, if God's righteousness is being revealed, why is there so much that isn't right in our world? If, if it's being revealed, like, why is there still wrong if righteousness is being revealed? And then it says the righteous will live by, by, by faith. And at this point, we're just beginning to question, is this all a lie? Is all of this a lie? Why are the people who say that they love God never living that way? Why is righteousness never lived out in their lives? And, and so we read this, this, these two verses that kind of set the, the theme for the whole rest of the book of Romans. And it's like, this sounds great, but it sounds too great. It sounds too good to be true. This doesn't match with our reality. We're looking for light. We're looking for hope. But it seems like all we see our lies. <clears throat> Does anybody remember the, uh, the super balance bands that came out uh, in the early 2000s? Pow power balance bands, sorry. You don't have to raise your hand if you had one of these. It's okay. When these came out, they cost $40 a piece, and they were promised to give you enhanced balance and strength. You could jump higher, run faster. And um, they had this incredible marketing scheme. Like, there's this, I almost showed it, but I just, I'm just going to spare us. Shaquille O'Neal has this two-minute YouTube video. You should go look it up. And he's like, bro, these things work. And then he, like, shows how he's, like, all of a sudden more powerful, and he can actually make a free throw now. You know, like, it's amazing. You know, the, the, all these things, and all these athletes supposedly wore them. Like, all these famous people attested to how great they were. And then somebody called them out on it. And they began to do studies, and they realized it was all a big sham. And this company had to pay back $57 million in schemes for a, sh a, a big sham, right? And we can guess that the payday helped convince Shaq that these power balance bands were the real deal. Right? Like that was enough. But but misleading infomercials aren't what made our place, made our world a place filled with shame and division and immorality. How did that happen, right? Like we can understand when somebody would maybe be willing to lie. I don't know if we can understand it, but but we at least get, like, we we comprehend that, okay, he got a big paycheck, so he was willing to say these power balance bands will do anything. But how do we get to a point in our world where good people, quote unquote good people, would be okay with just living in shame? They would make choices that are immoral or that they would be divided from one another. How did we end up there? There's an online magazine. Uh, I can't speak to its credibility. I really don't know, but I found this really interesting. They ran a story of several testimonies of people who, uh, who felt like they were living lies. I want to read just a couple of those short ones to you. One reads like this. I really don't like where my life is. I hate my job. It pays very well, and I have two young children, so I can't just change careers and start again. I once wanted to work in a building like the one I am in now, but I now realize it's just full of workplace politics and soul-destroying work. I wish I had never, ever become a parent. I hate being a parent. Please note that I do not hate my children. I would take a bullet for either of them. 
And they live a life of being very loved and well taken care of. And they're very good kids too. I just don't want the responsibility and the cost and the lack of personal time and space. I don't like being married to my wife. She's a great person and a fantastic mother, but we're complete opposites, and she has many annoying habits. We get along perfectly fine, and as far as she's concerned, I do not think like this. I treat her kindly, and I'm the best husband a man can be. I do housework, romance, all that nonsense, because she deserves it. But I would not be bothered in the slightest if she walked out tomorrow. Yes, these are petty. Yes, I am selfish. Yes, I am a jerk. I hate myself for it, and I get intrusive suicidal thoughts sometimes because of it. I never would, of course, because that would be super terrible of me to do. But that's the lie I live in the bed I've made. We're living lies. Another one writes, I'm the friendly, nice person that's always happy and cheerful. I have no idea what these feelings are, actually. I just learned how to mimic them at a young age. For a very, very long time, I've suffered from extreme emotional detachment with a borderline personality disorder. I can honestly say I can't remember what it feels like to be happy or sad, except anger. I have spikes in either direction, but they are suppressed quickly. So my general state is numb or neutral, and everything else is a complete lie. I learn to mimic what people expect or want. Also, how to appear to be concerned and trustful for people to tell me their secrets, when the whole time I was getting their secrets so I could hold them over them if they ever found out mine. Yeah, I know what caused it and have sourced the treatment. I've even had a break where I actually reverted and started feeling emotions and feelings and all that. My girlfriend at the time, all my close friends and my family knew about the incident and what caused me to revert to actually being able to feel emotions again. And their response? They all complained that I wasn't myself and that they wanted me to get back to normal and stopped acting out and start being there for them again. First time in 15 years I actually felt anything, only to be told no one liked me and I wasn't as dependable to them anymore. And sadly, this leads me to revert to my old ways. Numb is my way of life. Well, except for anger. Anger has always been there, always has been, always will be. We look for light in our world. We're wired to hope. But so often we see lies instead. We look for light in others, and often we end up with pity or judgment or skepticism. We look for light in ourselves, and that's scary too, right? We look for light in ourselves, and we often see lies instead. So when Paul writes in Romans 1, 16 and 17, that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of, of Christ, how could he be doing that? There's no way that Paul could be looking at the world around him, that he could be looking at others, that, that he could even be looking at himself and believing that life could look like this. God saving people, bringing together people of different races and, and making things right in the world. What could he be looking at? Because as we look at the world and as we look at ourselves, we don't see light. We simply see lies. Perhaps Paul was looking somewhere else for light. And perhaps we should be too. I love that in Paul's story, the light actually found him. How could Paul even write the words that he is unashamed of the gospel? Acts 9, 3 and 4 tells a little bit of his story. It says, As Paul traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul is his Hebrew name. See, Christ was the light. 
In that moment, the light of Christ might have physically blinded Paul, but it actually opened his eyes to the darkness that he was living in. Paul was living a lie, and Jesus revealed that to him. And Paul then owned up to that lie. He began to be obedient to what Christ was calling him to. And that's why Paul can write without shame in verses 16 and 17. I don't want us to miss this. I mean, can we catch this amazing thing about Jesus? He saw Paul's lie. He saw it. He saw it while he walked the streets of Jerusalem with him, before he ever was hung on the cross. He saw the deception that Paul was using. He saw the power grab that Paul was making as Christians began to increase in number and Paul began to order them executed. He saw all the lies in Paul's life. What's more, he pursued him on the road to Tarsus and he blinded him with this intense light. Jesus was not content to leave Paul in his lies. Right? He pursued him knowing that he was a liar about who he was and about what he believed. Jesus did this over and over and over again. It's kind of his M.O. That he would see the lie, and yet he still chose to die. He would see the lie and and still choose to die. In John 4, we read about Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And he asked this unsuspecting Samaritan woman for a drink of water. Jesus introduces this idea of living water to her, and she's excited to hear more about eternal life. When Jesus gives her a next step. And he says to her, go call your husband and come back here. I can feel the awkward pause in their conversation. You know that moment where somebody says something to you and you realize that you're caught? You realize that there's something inside of you that isn't right, that's a lie, but you don't want them to know and so you're trying to figure out how am I going to cover this up? How can I say something that isn't totally a lie but doesn't reveal the truth? So the woman says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't. You've had five. And the guy that you're with now isn't your husband. Caught in the lie. Jesus sees the lie of this woman. But they continue to talk, and through that talking, she realizes that this is the Messiah, the one who was promised to come, the one who was going to save the Jews and restore God's kingdom. Jesus saw her lie, and he still offered her life. That's incredible. I think back to my encounter with this guy in White Castle, and the last thing I wanted to do when he turned around and asked for that lady's number was offer him life. It's like, you know what? I take back my prayer. But Jesus saw her lie, and he still offered her life. And he did that by dying. He saw her lie, and he still chose to die. And what we don't often say about this woman is that she immediately helped join a church planning team. It's this amazing thing. After her encounter with Christ, she returned to the town of Sikar, told all of her friends, and a church was planted. The gospel was revealed, and righteousness began to be a thing in the community in the town of Sikar. From a woman that was living with a guy, but was challenged for the lie that she'd been living. Christ saw her lies, still chose to die, and that death, gave her life. This is all great about Christ. But we have to make sure that we grasp this. Christ sees your lie. He sees your lie. 
And he still chose to die for that one too. He sees that you've covered up your past by lying about who you are. He sees that you've been keeping things from your spouse because you want to maintain control in the relationship. He sees that you're trying to hide what you really think from God himself. You ever done that? It's like, oh, nope, I didn't think that because I don't want God to know that I, I, nope. He sees you conveniently leaving out pieces of the story to paint yourself in a better light. He sees you making excuses for your bad habits, convincing yourself that you have good reasons to continue doing what you're doing. He sees your lie, and he still chose to die. And that powerful truth, it calls you to a personal challenge. Stop working to cover up your lies. Stop working to cover up your lies. I want you to look back at verse 17 with me. And hopefully we can begin to understand how this righteousness begins to be revealed in us so that the lies quit dominating how we live. For in it, right, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the fact that he chose to die even though he, we saw our lies, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, it's, it's beginning to be made known from faith to faith. What does that mean, from faith to faith? You see, the very first time that we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and we place our faith in him, he forgives us and declares us righteous in the sight of God. Righteousness is ours in that moment. It's this incredible thing, right? Righteousness is revealed from faith. But what about this to thing? What does it say to faith? You see, for that righteousness to be revealed through our lives to those who see us and are around us, we have to keep putting our faith in the good news of Christ. God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. How many of us find it so much easier to just put our, our, our faith in Christ the first time and say, mm, I've been given righteousness. Now, I've got to figure out how to do all these other things. I've got to figure out how to have a better life. And that's when we begin to live the lies. Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney is the head football coach of the national champion Clemson Tigers, and he went viral this week with a guy named David Seville. He did it by gifting David Seville, one of their equipment managers who has Down syndrome, with two tickets to the Super Bowl. Check it out. Go Tigers. All right. As we speak, hang with me on this illustration for just a minute. As we speak, David Seville has tickets to the Super Bowl in his hands, right? Like, he has them. And they are an incredible gift. But the magnitude of that gift, it's not going to be real until tonight when David Seville takes his seat at that Super Bowl in Atlanta. The drive, walking to the stadium, Grabbing a hot dog, finding his seat. Each of those actions making the tickets more valuable as the experience deepens. So too, it is with the righteousness of God. You see, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, turning from ourselves and trusting in him alone, we are handed the golden ticket of salvation. Right? And that's incredible. It's an incredible gift that we don't deserve. We can't work hard enough to earn. Nothing and no one can take it from us. But at the same time, 
everything you do is not instantly righteous. There's a journey to be made by faith towards the ultimate reward of your faith, life eternal in the presence of the one true king. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, the moment when you get the ticket, to faith, the moment that you will stand with Christ in his kingdom. And Paul writes, the righteous will live by that faith. The righteous will live by faith. Imagine, if you would, for a moment, if David Seville was handed those tickets and then misplaced them. I kind of forgot that they did the little thing with the coach. I was like, this is a real possibility maybe. I don't know. He's given those tickets and then he misplaces them. Straight up forgets where they are. But he's too afraid to tell anyone that he's done that. Ever been there? I'm just going to find my wife's keys before she knows that I lost them, right? So instead of telling anyone, he just begins to cover that up. One thing after the next, after the next, after the next. And then he realizes, shoot, I'm going to need some tickets to the Super Bowl if I'm going to keep covering this lie up. So he starts working really hard to earn enough money to buy another set of Super Bowl tickets. You have to be working really hard. <laughs> They're expensive. In that moment, his life begins to be filled with anxiety and anger. He's stressed, keeping it all hidden, living a lie. He's angry at himself for losing the tickets. And I ask the question, can you see it? Can you see that that is you and I, when we quit believing that Christ is the one who not only saves us, but begins to change our life day by day until the moment that we join him in eternity? Like, it's like we trust him for salvation, we trust him to give us the tickets, but we don't trust him to change the everyday things that make us more righteous. That's our responsibility. I should work hard to make sure that that happens. The change that is needed in your life doesn't start with what you do, but what you believe he can do. It begins with admitting that you are powerless to simply become a better parent or to fix your marriage or suddenly quit smoking or stop looking at porn or to work really hard at at better managing your money or to try to be better about your language and not letting words slip. The moment of change in all those areas doesn't begin with our self-discipline, our ability to do it ourselves. It begins with believing that Christ wants those things out of our lives and he wants to make us right. You don't just stop being judgmental or Quit gossiping on your own. You don't have the ability to just self-discipline yourself into reading your Bible every day or always doing the right thing or reducing your screen time. Stop working to cover up your lies. Stop working to cover up your lies. Christ knows that you fail at all those things. He sees your lies and he still chose to die. He still loves you. So have faith that he will root those things out of your life if only you would stop trying to work it out yourself. Submit to his plan. Believe. Believe. As Paul writes in verse 16. It's kind of a cliffhanger from here. Over the next two weeks, we want to tangibly work out what that means to to place our faith that Christ will be changing our lives from day to day. There's not some big finish today. This series is a little different. It all works together with the hope that at the end we're going to have a much deeper appreciation for just how wide and deep and vast the grace of God really is. Next week, we we want to understand how we end up 
trapped in the darkness of these lies. How did we get here in the first place? And two weeks from now, we're going to talk about what this all ends up looking like in real life and how seeing that helps us appreciate God's grace even more. And so our challenge then is to commit to this journey together. Let's do this journey together over the next few weeks and see if instead of seeing the lies, seeing all the things that are wrong about our world, we see the light, the light of Jesus. It's the power of salvation to all who believe. That is the righteousness of God revealed to us from faith to faith so that we might live in it. I wasn't going to close with anything uh, fun or fancy, and this isn't necessarily fun or fancy, but it's such a beautiful illustration in counter to the experience that I lived. Last week, <clears throat> last week was Love Shelbyville Day, and we did uh, prayer walks at both middle schools and both high schools. And uh, prayer walks are always these interesting things uh, because people are like, what? Like, I have no clue <laughs> what that is, what I'm supposed to do. It feels awkward to just be walking around a school and praying. I'm like, I'm, it's kind of that same tension we get when I'm like, oh, yeah, these things that are wrong in your life, you got to trust the Lord with them first. And you're like, okay, how do, how do I do that? People went to each of these schools and they prayed. How many of y'all? Um, how many of y'all saw on the news this week? There was a, I think it was WLKY did a, a news clip on several West Middle School teachers who, on their snow go days, they they went and they they delivered food to several of their students that needed food. Okay. TJ Vote sends me a text this week and he's like, Hey man, isn't it crazy? that we were just there praying. We were just there praying, and then we see them take that step of faith. I'm like, oh, shoot. Oh, yeah, I should, like, expect God to answer those prayers that we prayed. It's amazing. And then he sends me this post on Facebook. And I'm just blown away at how God chooses to to answer and to expose himself and to reveal himself when we will just trust that he wants to do more. I'm not going to insult your intelligence, but I am just going to read it. One of the teachers wrote, I'm beginning to piece together just how awesome these past few days have been. A few years ago, God placed on the hearts of some local folks to begin a church who have a monthly mission to serve in our community. On Monday morning, we returned to school with notes on doors, positive messages in the lockers, and an inspiration all around. I then saw posts that, that evening about prayers that were lifted throughout the hallways of our building on Sunday evening by members from this church. And by Wednesday, we just got that tug. And when God tugs you, you just have to act on it. None of this is or has been about me or any of us. This has been about, amen, our mighty God who calls us to love. And our God who loved so much that he gave Jesus and all that he asked in return is that we believe and follow. And he also asked us to love others as he loves us. So today I received this note and gifts, unexpected, however, so very much appreciated. Love sets a fire, and then Jesus is at the wheel. It can't be put out. I challenge you all, friends, to find that someone to love this weekend just as Jesus did. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see the ripples? Prayers offered in faith 
And God began to use that to stir in this teacher's heart who, who did something loving and compassionate for someone else. And then it's returned by another student. God is so good at what he does. And that's why I, I can stand here, just as Paul writes, unashamed and with confidence saying, stop covering up the lies and trust that Jesus wants to do something so much greater if we'll just trust him in those small moments of the day. Let's pray. Father, you are incredible. It's amazing to see how you, like you work in and around and through all these things and through all of our stories in ways that we can't even, like we can't orchestrate those things. We can't, like it's amazing the faithfulness that you have to your people. And so Paul, so God, as we come to this, uh, this moment in Scripture where we see Paul saying, listen, there, there is something so much more out here if we'll just trust you more, that you want to reveal more of your righteousness to us if we'll just trust you. Father, I, I just pray that you, would, that you would give us the courage to stop covering up our lives, to stop living lies, start trusting you for more. We would believe not just in your power to save us, but in your power to change us. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't taken that first step to say that I believe that your son Jesus can save me, I pray that your spirit would uh, burden them. I pray that your spirit would, would press in on them, invite them to take that step today, to let them know that, that, that they've got a ticket ticket to an eternal kingdom where your son Jesus is the king. Father, I pray that we would leave today with a little bit of tension in our hearts and our minds and our lives. That we would consider the lies that we are living and that we would be willing to go on this journey to uncover how we, how we got there. Uh, that we would begin to to find hope again in how you want to move us forward towards the light, to bring us out of darkness, to change us. We thank you. We thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus that makes all this possible, that gives us the power to see it happen, and that makes us right. In his name we pray. Amen. This morning, <clears throat> as we... Uh, finish in our worship, we want to respond to that gospel. Maybe as I prayed, you're one of those people that, that you need to place your trust and faith in Christ for the first time. Uh, I'll be back in our starting point room. It's the room right up in the front of the, the church. Love to meet you there uh, to just talk, to learn your story. Uh, maybe there's a lie that you've been living, and it's time to, to stop covering that up. We'd love to walk with you through that as well. And uh, as we uh, continue to worship as a body. We're going to sing. We're going to remember that he, he rescues us. We're going to give. We're going to give out of um, what he's given us, right? And we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper. And when we do that each week, 
we invite anyone who's a baptized believer who has said, I give my life, I've got the ticket, right? Anybody who's got the ticket, you can come and you can take a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice. And when you do that, right, just as we've talked about today, it's, an, it's another way of saying, I trust you, Lord. I want to keep trusting you. Thanks for the ticket. I'm not going to keep working to earn it. I'm going to trust that you will continue to change my life. I'm done covering up the lies. Because what you did on the cross covers those lies. It forgives them. So when you come forward, that's, that's what we do is we take the Lord's Supper together. We remember that and we remind each other of that. And so as the band plays, I invite you to respond with us in one of those ways. Uh, and for some of you, maybe that means sitting right in your chair and just spending time with the Lord. I'm not sure. I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead you. Let's respond now as we think about the God who sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be the power of salvation for all who would believe.